Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. I am Michael Petro, and joining me on the show is writer, director, Cameron Patterson. Uh, we sit down and talk about his adventures in the film and how he found himself on a film set, screenwriting and pitching studios and all the big wigs to pay for your idea. Uh, writer's block, how do you get over that? Does he develop a character before the story or the story before the characters? And then drumming. He's a professional drummer on the side as well, too. So we get to talk about his time with Modern Drummer and doing a video series with them on drum kits, drum techs, sound checks, all that jazz. There's some famous musicians that he drops at the end of this episode, kids, so tune in for that. Uh, besides that, that's all I got. That's Cam for the day. Uh, no news is good news, as I keep saying for the last couple of weeks. No live dates, nothing fun happening outside of the show right now. We'll update you when we can. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. To you OGs, to you original debaters, head on into the theater, the movie theater, the proverbial made-up movie theater. Get your snacks, get your booze, get your weed, get everything that makes this a little bit more enjoyable. But to you new people, stick around for just another 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Let's see if I can do this in a fast enough timeline for you. Uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to us at the end of the show. That's all we're asking, right? Hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to. We'll be back the following week. If you're so inclined and you want to buy some merch... Or you're like, hey, these guys could use a couple bucks. I'd love to donate somehow. There's a donation tab and a prop shop. All right, all the usual podcast merchandise, plus stuff you've probably never seen. We have skateboards, socks, shoes, tote bags, laundry bags, and then your usual stuff, right? Your hats, your hoodies, your sweaters, your T-shirts, and all that. And then there's a donation tab. There's a three-tiered system there. One buck gets you this, three buck gets you that. Five bucks is the max, and they'll get you something that you can use to embarrass your friends with. If you decide to throw some bucks at us, we'll bring you into the world of the show. Uh, feel free. Just hit that donation tab. It says buy me a coffee. That's a that's that's the donation tab. Don't really buy I mean, buy us a coffee. Whatever you want. Point is, is that this is what you do if you're inclined. If not, no harm, no foul. We understand. No big deal. We all have day jobs. We're not breaking our backs trying to do this. But uh, by doing so, you get to be like a co-executive producer and all that charming bullshit. And then we get to blame you for doing better, and it, it's a win-win for everybody. So uh, yeah, that's it. Now. As a new person, you don't know we do this, but we like to mention the top 10 places that listen to the show each week. So, number 10, Seattle, Washington. Thank you for showing up. We haven't seen you before. Allentown, Pennsylvania. Again, love seeing you on the list. Number eight, Langcut, Subcarpathian. I don't know who's there. I'm saying hello to you. I also don't know where Subcarpathian is. Edmonton, Alberta. Baconia, Manitoba. Morden, Manitoba. Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. You're a newbie. Hello, Dartmouth. Concord, North Carolina. Thanks for coming back each week. Vancouver, British Columbia. I don't know if our guy Martin is paying you guys to listen to the show, but either way, thank you for listening. And to our loyal fans, our home base, Winnipeg, Manitoba, coming in at number one. Everybody who listens here, we love it. Thank you guys, no matter what. Even if you don't show up on this list, we still love it. Okay, but... These are just the people that are like, go listen to these assholes. They're saying funny shit or go listen to these idiots. They're worth laughing at because they don't know what they're doing. Whatever the reason is, thank you so much for spreading the word and lifting us up, getting us out there, getting the word of the debaters out to the masses. I have nothing else for you. I will give you this lovely conversation I had with Cam. I will cue the reel and you enjoy the show. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Welcome, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Real Debaters production. It's just me. There's no Mark. There's no Jimmy. There's no Martin. There is a very special guest, though. Um, I managed to convince one of Steve's friends, 
Cameron Patterson, uh, writer, director, editor, um, drummer. Uh, I always want to make these introductions the best, uh, is, is here to talk to us about the writing process, specifically uh, working in Manitoba film and uh, how we got into film. Hello, Cam. Hello. How are you doing, Mike? Uh, good today, actually. I, it was nice to have a temperature break and to see some rain for the last two days. It was, especially with the forest fire thing going on. Right, yeah. No, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I have a buddy at work who, during the, the ugly day job, um, he came he came running into work and he was like, I need six pumps because they evacuated his cabin. And he was like, I got to go set up a ring of water around everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, no. so glad I only own one house. Yeah, we were up in Gimli. Um, like I have a boat up there and uh, and the smoke some days on the water. Was so thick. It was. Oh, cool. you're like playing in the air lake. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I fell in love with Lake Winnipeg when I did a documentary on it but i have friends up there too who were telling me for years you know get a get a boat you can relax on because i grew up with a ski boat and my kids all grew up on skiing and stuff and you know that's activity driven stuff and then you get older and you realize after a pandemic i think i just want to chill out a little bit. <laughs> so i got lazy and i bought an old person's boat it's awesome no those are great you want <clears throat> right it's 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 about relaxing i i did the tube run a couple of weeks ago up in Pinawa and Oh yeah, yeah. I love going low and slow, right? With a cooler of beer behind you and yeah. jumping into your paddle boat, whatever the hell it's called. Anyways, I'm rambling. Yeah. Um, we've got you here to talk about so many things, and I don't want to talk about my summer weekends much longer. So, okay, uh, I uh, I really want to sink my teeth into. First of all, like we always do here, we like to know how we like to know the origin story. That's the joke, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, What's your Wolverine origin story for film? How did you how did you find yourself dipping your toe into the world of cinema? You know, sometimes I think I, I came into this really, really late. If you, you know, um, I wasn't smart enough to get into this when I was in my 20s. I was chasing a different career in music and then had kids and then got into IT for years. But I was always writing. You know, like on, as a hobby, I was always writing on the side and doing things and uh, and always loved movies. I mean, I was always huge movie fan, big, big fan. But I never had an idea of how anyone did that or anything. And uh, on my 40th birthday, 42nd, 43rd birthday, life changed things as they do. And uh so I started to, you know, try and expand things out. I'd already written a novel, which we'll talk about. It's the longest time between novel and publication in the history of mankind. But, uh, you know, I had written uh, a novel and was well into a second one. And then, um, and then I started getting into um, being interested in screenwriting. And I'm not even really sure what really triggered that, to be honest. But... Uh, I started getting into it and I thought, well, I got a novel. Why don't I just adapt that? And I adapted the novel and uh, this would have been, holy crap. I don't even know how long ago that was, but by the time I was 45 or 46. And uh, so I drafted out a screenplay, which probably was pretty brutal, pretty bad. Um, you know, cause I didn't really understand, you know, why it, a script format works and, the job behind it and the people that need to work from it and, and all that stuff, right? I was just some guy who thought, 
you know, this is it. I'm going to get rich and move to LA, I guess, or something. But, um, <clears throat> but no, I had kids. I wasn't moving anywhere. But anyway, so I did. And I naively pitched it out. I, I found, I think, about 10 or 12 screenwriting agents and I pitched it out. And when I look back at that, I think, what was I thinking, you know? And because uh, I sent it out and I no producing experience, no film experience at all. And never mind writing experience for this kind of you know format. And of course, they all said, "Well, when you get some experience, call us back. It's interesting, but you know." And this one agent called me back. She said, "I really like this story. How did you come up with this?" And I didn't mention the book. I just said, "Oh, you know, I just played with this adoption idea." And da 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 da. And she said, "I really like it, and I like the dialogue." And she's still my agent today. Nice. Yeah, that's three and a thousand. Now she's yeah, and. And I think that's kind of where it really started. And I was not, quote, in the industry, like locally for a long time. Um, she actually, I started working with her and um, what was going on was the boom was really huge in Vancouver. And she was getting me work, like, like to fix scripts and stuff. I think largely because I think they just wanted to go with a cheaper route and, and you know, fix five or six pages or do this. And I'd get notes to change this to this and this. And it was a great I mean, you couldn't pay for that kind of learning curve, right? Um, like you, I saw a lot of scripts that were, you know, you started to get a handle on this is a bad script or, or you know, or the director had notes and they just want things changed. Producers had to change characters. Uh, there was a ton of things, but it kept pretty busy. And then it graduated to, I ended up writing some horror scripts for guys in the States. Never got credited. Um, Who earned but I got paid. And at the time, I mean, to be honest, after doing that for several years, like on the side, I'd get up at five in the morning before I had to go do IT for a day and get my kids up and going to school. And I'd get up at five so I could have like two solid hours before the house woke up. And uh, wow. I was kind of my writing time. And, uh, and I realized then too, that I'm pretty much a morning writer because I'll spend the rest of the day kind of honing out what's going to come next. Uh, but that, that, that process of just getting the job done, um, that kind of stuck with me from that. Like I'm still a morning writing guy. I'll, I'll set aside my mornings and I'll write from, right now I've got a screenplay that I have the deadline by August 30th. So I'm from six in the morning, you know, give or take 11 till noon. And then I shut it down because I know I'm, you know, I've tried to do it before where I pushed beyond that. And a lot of times you end up rewriting it all, but, you know, I just, it's, it's in your head all the time. Matter of fact, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but I, um, anyway, working for her doing that was great. And then it graduated some horror scripts and then it graduated to, because I was a musician, I had some friends that asked to do music videos and I got a little interested in that. And I always was fascinated by directing. I just never really dove into, you know, what it really entailed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I took a course at Film Group. And, uh, and the guy, one of the guys who came in and taught that workshop um, came in and did the camera part of it. And that was Ryan Herdman. And I still work with him today. Mm -hmm. And, and this whole team, uh, there was people in there, Brie Tate. Now she's, you know, she's been in makeup ever since. And, um, and there was several others. And I had a screenplay of a little short film. And the guys that taught the course said, we'll come shoot that with you. And that's kind of how I got bit. And I remember shooting this first short with an actress named Tony Reimer. 
and Tira um, um, Triviac, and just watching them. And that's what hooked me was when I did a scene and worked it out, got my head around, you know, they say blocking. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it was so, God, I had no clue. Um, but watching that performance, what, what they did with these words and that thing, and it still hooks me, honest to God. It, it, you know, I haven't done it in a while now since I did a true crime series. So you do miss it after a while, but watching the monitor and just seeing that actor slide in, you can actually physically see them slide in between the DOP saying set or frame and you, you know, let them go. And uh, you just see it slide in and something happens. And I can't even explain it. I'm not an actor, but uh, it, it's, it's just jaw dropping. So that's what hooked me. After that, I was, I'm done. I'm stuck on this. I did a bunch of music videos and figured out how to get better at it. And just went from there did a few short films. And is, blah, there, blah, blah. is there anything that you can, cause I, I love, I love somebody who spits in the face of like, you gotta go to school. You gotta, you gotta, you know, take time out and learn it. Well, yeah. I mean, not saying you shouldn't and not saying, I, I'm just saying there's, there's a couple ways to skin a cat. So do you think you've got, there is. You know, what, what, what was it? Cause it sounds like a duck to water, man. It, you know, I've, I've seen your stuff. I've read your stuff. Like it, it just, you know, is there something there or are you just a savant? No, both. God, I'm, no <laughs> I'm way not smart enough to do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's interesting is because uh, it just felt like I understood it. It made sense to me. And I don't know on what level, to be honest. I'm not sure. I just visually, I've always been visual. I've always drawn. Um, you know, besides writing and film scribblers, I was always drawing as well. And so, I mean, I knew how to transfer story to visual. And I've even been, I mean, the book al along the way, I've been told that the writing, you know, it's somewhat visual. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. It just, it just made sense. I understood it. Like once I understood the technical aspect of what to do here and, and, and really got educated on, you know, camera lenses and, and cinema and blah, 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 blah. But it just made sense and it didn't scare me. You know, I, I was a drummer professional for years, like making my living on it. Um, and to this day, I still have stage fright issues, you know, and I knew, you know, the big gigs and stuff. And it's like, oh, sweaty hands and, and the whole thing and that nervousness. And, and the odd thing is, is that I felt I was, you know, uh, trained enough and worked on technique and my time and things like that. Um, I could read fairly decently. And so... I shouldn't have this fear of it. Like I should have, you know, like it was this sort of real yeah. sort of, and I, I, so I guess that's why at a certain point in that career, I had to bow out because I just sensed that there's, there's a level that I'm just never going to get to. I just knew in myself and, you know, besides that I had kids and nothing was my first priority beyond that. Like that was my first priority. So everything else had to come after, but there was just something there and it's funny I never have that feeling when it comes to story and you know on a set directing or writing the screen or anything it you know it changes a little bit but for me I'm just very very story driven and so I kind of approached it that way it just made sense I rambled but I think I got no no, no you didn't ramble <laughs> you enhanced <clears throat> okay I get it I I I I don't get it in the same way that you're saying, but I, I think we, I'm picking, like, it just feels 
like a warm bath. It makes sense. The the, the, mo- the motions are there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really did feel like I, I should have been, you know, there's a lot of young guys in this industry that I've been lucky enough to be around and work with. And they, they were very, you know, and they all, always strike me as very tuned in. They knew early, they dialed it in, they got into the industry. Um, you know, they worked their way into it on a different level and a different path. And I thought, wow, that's just smart. Because, you know, I came into it very, very late. So. Uh, I find it interesting that being the guy who keeps the time, who's in charge of all of the time on stage when a band is playing. Ooh, okay. And, and essentially directing or writing something and producing something, you're also keeping time on set. And I just think the, the, the making, the, 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 the movie, the, the, the book, whatever you're putting out there, that's more, from my perspective, that's more uh, embarrassing, more, you're more naked doing that than you're sitting back behind the drum set. So I, it's, I find it interesting that the drumming yeah. was scared you, but not bearing your soul because you you know, Charlie Watts just sits there and keeps time, right? Like, you know, but he's an yeah. amazing drummer, but he, yep. there's, there's, he's not putting himself out there like Jagger. And you say that putting yourself out there on the big screen for everybody to see and judge you just feels right. I think that's neat. Yeah. And I, God, I got, maybe I should take therapy because I cannot for the life of me even explain it. Um, and I love it. I still do gigs, not as many, but, uh, and I still, you know, I'm still a lot of whack if I don't sit down behind a drum kit after a little while. Um, I, I just don't know. It's just a, and I don't get usually nervous talking in front of people. You know, I can stand up and talk in a mic and yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it just meant too much. I don't know. Or maybe I just admired too many amazing guys. <laughs> you know that i ended up getting to meet later on but and, and and doing stuff with but i don't know like i just don't know you know what did you what did you start writing to start writing like I, your your first screenplay wasn't the first thing you started writing were you writing poetry were you writing journals like what were you were you are you were you straight creating off the hop because I mean, as a kid i mean every kid's like journal your thoughts right and then that usually kind of is your your birthday yeah. your fucking grade six guidance counselor and then you're like well let's create instead because i don't like my life so what, what were yeah. the things that you wrote before you started writing straight up it was always thriller stuff yeah um yeah straight like scribblers of thriller stuff and i loved action movies monster movies you know <clears throat> and it really came from that for me and that's 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 still the thing that i like writing most and yet i've written um screenplays that are <laughs> very woman-centric i mean i got a television show that looks like it's going to go into some development here <clears throat> um in in toronto and and that's a complete 1912 woman's story you know i don't know how involved i'll be once to get the pilot written and you know they're going to fill that writing room if i mean if it gets that far i'm talking a bit curt for the horse but i mean if it gets that far I, i'm smart enough and hopefully old enough to understand that you should get a whole team of women in there and get women directors and it'll be awesome and uh i'm gonna love watching that <laughs> yeah no why, you know? so you raise a good point there and and what is where do you start with a story how do you get to to this end game of it ending up in a room full of other writers and then watching it like where do you where do you draw your inspiration from when you start writing something okay for me um 
sure what the heck, I'll talk about this. Um, I'm not going to talk about who, who that's with right now or anything. Sure. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, 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 don't but, add. Yeah, but the story itself kind of, I started research. I was, I've always been a bit of a history buff guy, um, especially Winnipeg history, because I think I'm, I'm sort of in that school of sometimes I think we sell our own histories short that we don't think they'll appeal on a bigger scale. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's typically maybe even kind of a Canadian thing, but um, definitely a Winnipeg thing, um, <clears throat> at oh, least for that. We, yeah. You're like, someone's like, way to go, man. And you're like, nah, I could have done better. Right. And it's like, yeah. well, take it and run with it, you idiot. Yeah. And um, so I stumbled into uh, the Winnipeg General Strike. I remember I was really young and I researched and researched that. And I wrote what I thought was a, at the time, because they did miniseries back in the day, because yes, I'm that old now. Hey, they still and <clears throat> yeah, they call them something different. Yeah. But <clears throat> limited series, not mini limited series. And I wrote this thing, which was designed to be that. Um, I did this whole treatment outline and stuff, and at the, I, I had my agent at the time, and because um, I really just got interested in that time period, like really interested in it. And then uh, you know, I even did a. A documentary for MTS, you know, like I finally got an MTS doc, which I was really excited about. I want to do the history of cabs in Winnipeg. It, it was hard to find the information, but it was still something that took me back to that time period. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then uh, as I was doing that, I learned about uh, Point Douglas and what was happening there in, in this um, red light segregation experiment thing. It was really fascinating. And what struck me is um, that you know, as much as this is, you know, I mean, their trade is what it was, but you think about women like that in 1912, like they were literally in charge of their own destinies and they were absolutely getting powerful, like pow powerful enough that they scared the establishment and the establishment was forced to shut them down um, because they were really running this like a business. And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. I, you know, microcosmed it and then put in the suffragette movement, because then that makes them, you know, that they're like a rogue suffragette thing and they're hiding within this brothel experience. Yeah. I thought this is really great. And it also is almost timely because these were women fighting for, you know, it, what, what, what other ways were back then where, where they could be in charge of their own livelihoods? And, you know, if they weren't married or whatever, you know, I mean, we've... <clears throat> sort of come along right i don't know i raised a daughter she's highly independent i was and you know i'm not saying i knew what i was doing but um you know portraying women that way is kind of something i think i gravitate to because it kind of matters i don't want my daughter to read or see something that i've written that and now i've got granddaughters so i certainly don't want them to ever see something they're going papa yeah. <laughs> you uh, know added right like leave it better than you found it yeah yeah so I graduated into that and, and stuff, but it, I always come back to the thriller stuff. I just, I, I really do like playing with an audience that way. So yeah. are we, do you sick bastard? Um, like sometimes what, who's uh who, who, who inspires you when it comes to thrillers? Like who, who do you, uh, who do you, who do you smile over? Um, you want to talk about, uh, screenwriters or um, novelists. I'm, uh, I mean, it does some thrillers, <clears throat> but uh, stuff that David Fincher directs. Um, David Mamet's great. Um, 
all these guys that wrote, um, I like Aaron Sorkin's writing because I love the dialogue he comes up with. There, there's a true cadence there. There's a true rhythm there. I agree and, with that. Aaron Sorkin um, yeah. did did this one thing, uh, Studio 60 on the set strip. It yep. was of a show. It got like 24 episodes. And it was as if you got to go behind the scenes of Saturday Night Live. It was a fictional late night television show yeah. that used all of the drama from a perceived perspective of what Saturday Night Live must be. And it had a cast and it had okay. characters and it had all the problems of what you can and can't write for sketch comedy yeah. and right around the Bush administration. Like, and it is so whip snap smart, smart and it was only one season, but if you watch it, it actually, I don't know, maybe you can inform this, but sometimes it almost feels like if one season was made, they could have ended it. Like, is it left open ended? So you give yourself an out because this show feels like they're like, no, this was perfect. You could go for it, yeah. but it's perfect as it is. Yeah. Is that interesting? Is that a trick for writing where you kind of like, you don't, you don't bookend it so much because I've, I've noticed that in the television that I'm watching where I, I just look at it in and of itself instead of this series we're going to get sometimes. And I'm like, that's a perfect yeah. television. Stop right there. Yeah. I've had, um, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I've had to do that on this thing. You know, I, I handed in a, um, I wrote a pilot for it. And then as we reconfigured it, um, you know, between my manager and myself, we realized that the pilot that I thought I'd written is really better as the season ender. And so then I had to, yeah, so I had to do something that opens a different, you know, part of the story up at the end of that. And then they brought in a couple of showrunners in Toronto. So, you know, I'll be working with them on some pilot, maybe in September, October. I, I'm hoping. I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's sounding pretty good, but I'd really be excited to see it go. It'd be kind of neat. I am too now. Cause I'm, I'm a big proponent for uh, give me all the stories from all the people of all the colors of all the worlds. Like it is <laughs> yeah. an ignorant thing to be like, you can tell stories and you can't like go fuck yourself. If you think that, because yeah, just, there's so many things that when they, when they fall out of the tree and you're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that you trip across a show or a movie or yeah. book and it just changes you and you don't get that unless you're telling stories that are outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. True. Um, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had some thrillers. I thought, Oh, going too far. I can't going too far. <laughs> um, the world's not ready for me yet. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. And, and, you know, it goes in waves, right? Like, you know, um, these things get pitched out. I wrote one for, um, an LA group in 2019 or something. I guess before the pandemic, I think they shot it in Vancouver just during the opening. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they give you the idea. I pitched them and then they gave me what they'd like to see it be. And okay. So then I started tuning it up that way and it was getting pretty, um, you know, I kept reminding myself, ah, just do it, just do it, you know, deliver it, get it through. And, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, I'm sure it went through some rewrites before it got to a camera because that's what they tend to do at that at that level, which I'm fine with. I mean, I've done that so many times with some horror guys in the States that, you know, they just didn't care even what the title was. You know? So I, I know 
enough, but I'm always about like, hey, let's educate the general public here because the magic you guys make is is important to getting away from the bullshit of the real world. That's the whole thing here at the show, right? Is we take fake characters and argue with them in a real world and take real characters like us and put us into the movie and act like assholes. Like that's that's our running tagline. Yeah. It becomes a lot of fun if you get a bunch of cinephiles in the room. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I know enough from, from talking and playing in the game and being a, a Uber fan. I've got enough of an idea of the stages a screenplay goes through, but I want to know where my ignorant ass is wrong. So what's start to finish process like? Like you've got your idea, right? Then what are the stages? How do you approach the executive? Yeah. You, like where's the pitch happen? All that stuff that all the business, I guess, is what I'm more curious about. Yeah. So you mean like from pitching an idea? Yeah. Like how do you how do you pitching go, a script? Um, yeah. What do you what what's what's um uh, like you get you get it done right we'll get to the writing stuff in a second but you you get it yeah. done and how do you sell it how do you what do you what's the next step you know it's interesting i've had uh you know i've been you know i've had some writing stuff for people but then the stuff i've done on spec is still trying to get going in a lot of ways um and i've had a lot of tire kicking in the last three years which is awesome and then frustrating at the same time Sure, but um, I noticed the difference in having pitch meetings here, and then uh, when I got signed to a manager in Montreal, I was in LA quite a bit for the pandemic, and it was just meetup after meetup after meetup. And there was two screenplays that I had already written that I was pushing with her, and and, and really wanting them to move, and. Um, <laughs> And one was a really great piece that I still, you know, want to do so bad. Um, and it was, you know, when I told my agent I want to write this thing, and it just came as an idea, and it it came from the idea of a solitary person, and it was just a writing challenge, right? Because you know sometimes the agents will say, you know, can you give me a spec on this, you know, this TV show and stuff, because they want to try and keep you into a current thing, and I sort of never really wanted to do that, to be honest. Um, you know, I was doing okay without, um, I, I wasn't moving to Vancouver. I wasn't moving to places where writer rooms get filled up. That really wasn't what I wanted to do so much. But anyway, so I had this idea and um, and she kind of said, well, I guess if you want to write that, you can write what you want to write. She just says, I don't know how we ever get that to somebody, this idea. And it, it, it was uh, interesting writing. It was a real challenge. Single guy, 1873, sawed house. But what happens to this guy? I know, I know. It sounds like, what were you drinking and why did you start writing that? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining uh, a darker Dances with Wolves already. That's about as, where my mind went. Well, it gets dark. It gets dark. It gets violent. And, uh, you know, but it, yeah, but it starts, you know. And I, I really, I really liked it. I really liked it. And then, but they weren't convinced at all. And then I gave them the, the draft. And they both came back. So I think this is the strongest thing you've ever written. <laughs> and okay, can we, can we sell it? Can we find somebody to produce this? Because I'd love to direct this. And I started sort of storyboarding and I started doing all that. At the time, I was working um, pretty steadily um, for Frantic doing the true crime shows. This is all at the same time. Yep. And, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, so 
<laughs> they all hate the name. I'm not even going to tell you the name. But on, the title. Much. No, I, I stood in front of a person at CBC and she actually frowned and went, that's your title? <laughs> okay, this bitch meeting is over. Yeah, it's called Sod. It, it, yeah, it's called Sod Man. Ask Steve about it. He's read it. And uh, hey, man, there's a movie out there called Pig right now, and everybody loves it. So don't, no, 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 don't, don't despair, don't despair. Uh, matter of fact, that I got the most meetings in LA, um, and it got so close, and they just wanted to change a few aspects of it. And yeah, I thought for sure it was going. And at that point, I was even like, you know, I'm even okay if you bring in a bigger name director. That's all good, man. Like, I'll ride that wave, no problem. But yeah, and then at the 11th hour, it, it kind of stopped. And, you know, a couple months later, we're into a pandemic. And the other one was uh, a love letter to drumming screenplay I wrote. Um, I was doing work for a while with Kathy Rich um, on Buddy Rich kind of developing his life story kind of story okay. and that went on for a little and while and then like just in case you've lived under a rock like the best drummer yeah well like, he still is it's pretty fanatical following but buddy it, rich is still the big guy yeah like i've yeah. I've, I've i've seen all the drum movies because that's as close as i'll ever get to a drum set and i know yeah. probably guitar hero i think and i mean you that's insulting just to say that so but like, you know what i mean right like i'm yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a brass section but like every movie is is uh oh i can't wait to ask you about drumming movies every movie uh, or every, everybody every movie that ever talks about drumming it's buddy 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 yeah 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 because he was so visible and he was ungodly, ungodly, uniquely talented. There's the biggest drummers on the planet today that still say they can't do it. <laughs> you know, like his, 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 his abilities. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so it led me to this idea of doing this drumming story. And uh, I really liked it. It was a very family-friendly movie. And now we've got it to, uh, well, got it to an actor. I have a producer that's interested in doing it um or you know um has read it and liked it and this actor who really wanted to get who is a drummer and uh yeah two birds LA. yeah i can't say the name i'm not gonna do that to myself but oh, yeah. you know and, but my manager i was begging them please do it and like i'll fly i'll pay i'll go and fly myself there get me uh, 10 seconds with this guy um because he's a drummer and <laughs> you know if i need to i'll, I'll i have friends in the drumming industry I can help me do that but <clears throat> so anyway those are the two scripts I really want to see done those are the things and the rest of them I can let go really um yeah I I wrote a world war ii thing on a woman spy and turned that into a series and I've had a lot of interest on that and just so I've had a lot of this near stuff but like real interest while I was kind of working on other people's stuff at the same time so which is which is great but it got me fast yeah i would imagine in the gig world it's like okay if i'm i'll do this right now and then i'll work on my thing and i'll do this right now and then i'll work on my thing like that it, it that which is probably why it takes so long for you guys to accomplish something because you're you're doing something all the time yeah yeah well those stories you know it it depends on what they are i mean the process does change for me i can't you know um i don't know whose process is right or wrong i think however you get the job done you get it done but um depending on on what is needed for the story i mean a thriller honestly it's stuff you're trying not you know i don't want to have to research it i don't want to have to do things like that 
come up with a premise, come up with an idea, you know, come up with a good goal, a good obstacle, a good crime, and and get out of the way of the rest of it, and don't overdevelop the character because, quite frankly, that just sometimes gets in the way of your plot because you kind of squeeze so much character development in there. But, and I just try and get into this rhythm with it, and I've got, I'm to the point now where I can sort of lay out a B sheet once I have the concept, you know, in a day, and um, and then I'll just sort of. You know, we talk about cards that I used to outline the entire thing front to back. And now I tend to not want to do that. I, I actually tend to go make three, four cards ahead at a time as I'm writing, you know, and then I get ideas that kind of goes because I do know sort of, you know, I've kind of developed a pretty good gauge, I think, of how to still keep it on the rails and, and you know, make sure that the through line's there and make sure that, you know, I'm not screwing the thematic elements that are pretty clear and and just keeping the story tuned in but when and i love that process i really do i've, I've learned how to really embrace the whole process because i really do love that part of the writing i it it sounds it sounds like a, a it, yeah and it, it's all it's all part of it so if you if you're gonna learn it you gotta it's yeah it's a dance i would imagine yeah it's it, it is i mean there's the things you need to you know really get a handle on right i mean Mostly you're writing in three-act structure, I, um, at least for me. Um, and, you know, basic things, know what the difference between story and plot. It's very different. And and I think I've just gotten better. I mean, I, I do love writing the dialogue part of it. I mean, you know, because um, I'm, I don't know, I just love it when characters start interacting. Um, and that's the stuff I seem to be fixing when I was doing all these other scripts way back in the time is that the dialogue just seemed really stated or it was, um, you know, it had so much exposition in it and people don't talk like that, you know, and things like, that. But, <laughs> yeah. you know like honestly, right? We don't backstory our whole life and our relationship inside of two paragraphs of dialogue just because <laughs> we think the audience needs to get caught up. That's right. how I used to date, man. No wonder it never was well. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, do you do you come up with a character and then write a story about them more than you have a story, and then you start creating the characters around it? Like, where which? Yeah, for me, it's more the story first. Okay. At least in a screenplay, it's it's always been sort of the idea first, and then I find the characters that serve that idea. And you know, like I'll find a main character that serves the idea. Um, and, and then to be honest, once I have a main character and maybe a, a strong second one, um, then you're really putting secondary characters around them. Um, I used to do that. I used to do pages. I used to draw the characters on the wall so I could just look at them at a glance and, and you know, and kind of re remember what I thought that that character would sound like or have their voice in my head. Oh, neat. And now I rarely even do that. <clears throat> You know, they just, because they do tend to live in you. I mean, once you get in the role of it, you know, because that's all based on the fear of, you know, you're going to forget things. You're, you're going to, right? It's yeah. kind of oh, the idea because yeah. it's overwhelming, you know, 120 some pages or whatever, even in a novel. And I better have it all written out because I'm going to forget it all. And then you re really realize once you really get into it and you're soaked in, it, that's not really what happens. You know, they do live in you. It, it, it does exist. And it's, I've creeped out my kids a couple of times, you know, they come to my, my room on a Sunday morning. It's like, dad, what are you talking? Huh? 
and you're you're acting it out you're you're in it and and that's when the best writing happens i honestly think the stuff that i reread um you know that i've done is i you know i knew that i was right in it i was emotional scenes i'm sitting with a typewriter i'm spilling it out i'm crying sometimes i know men should admit that but the hell with it oh, i'm just saying you get to that point i think something imbues in in the writing in the dialogue something imbues that is going to resonate if it's too stated and too stoic um you know something's not going to resonate it's not going to imbue it's just like it's just like music you know, it's, it's, uh, you could get a drum machine and it's perfect and it's laid out, yeah. but there's reasons why in the studio, they'll call you in to just bring hi-hats, right? <laughs> sure. And I've done it. I've showed up with just hi-hats and, <laughs> and they just need that feel that moves and gives it breathing movement. And because that's, what's going to imbue, right? That's, what's going to imbue, you know, the, the groove and, and it's going to come alive. Um, so I really feel that way, you, you know, in the novel, um, big time, big time, because you're way more immersed in a novel to some degree. Yeah. Did this novel come through as well as finding a manager, you know, your first pass done? <laughs> like how many, how many iterations are there? Like for every, every 16 year old who hopefully doesn't listen to this cause we're rated E, but, uh, you know, like for anybody out there who would want to start writing, you know how Stephen King says, like, you know, you, four, five, six, seven attempts at the whole thing. Is yeah. that, like, are you finding your, like, do you do you it up a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I even, you know, with screenwriting, I mean, what constitutes a first draft for me is usually about six or seven drafts. And, and I don't, uh, you know, I got in the habit too of, um, you know, you'd get notes or something, you're changing stuff. And I think everyone does it, you know, you just sort of take the existing file and you start rewriting over top of it and changing yeah. this and that. I stopped doing that. I just, I just got a little stand over here on the side by my laptop and all the noted pages on the existing script, print them off, put it there and I start scratch and I just, I type along, you know, and I, I redo the whole thing. And as I'm doing that, different things happen. And the notes get incorporated, but other things are worked in and, and it just becomes a fresher, thing and i did the same and the novel because i wrote it so long ago and then i kept working um you know over the years and then it it just sort of sat in my laptop for a lot of years and then my agent <laughs> realized we were talking and that the need to know script actually came from a book and i was like what and and then uh, yeah i started pulling the book out a few years ago but the original manuscript was 487 pages. No wonder I couldn't get a publisher to look at an unpublished writer who's throwing a Canadian thriller at him with a corrupt prime minister, blah, 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 blah. Like thinking, what planet are you on, man? Because um, it was like stupid long, you know? And so I went through it and got, I got it down to like 280 some pages. And then when it got cleaned up, it even came down a couple more pages. And then the rest of it went into a folder and that'll be in book two of that series. Oh yeah. Cause you take everything and use it yeah. accordingly. Right. Just cause but easily, easily there was six or seven full passes completely. Yeah. Cause what? there was a lot of it's dense, you know, it is a dense novel. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot going on. What's the Cole's notes of this? Like I've got it in front of me here, but what's, what's the, what's the, the Cole's story? notes. 
<laughs> so to speak. Um, it is an adoption search gone wrong. Um, you know, oddly enough, it's a, I, I just wanted to do a Canadian thriller. I even got pushed at one point to Americanize it, make Winnipeg, Minneapolis, make Vancouver, Seattle, make Ottawa, Washington, get rid of CSIS and CSE and RCMP, make it FBI, NSA, and, so uh. on, and do that thing. And I actually got about a hundred pages in and yeah. I had to stop. I just don't want to do this. It's not why I wanted to write this. And I'm going to get really passionate on you now. Yes. Because I'm really passionate about this. Um, it's not why I wanted to do it. I really wanted to do, I did a lot of research on the RCMP back in the day um, on CSIS and all that stuff. And I'm, Cause I'm a James Bond guy and I, I just love intelligence, smart intelligence stories, you know, the, here we go. Yeah. Kind of the espionage stuff is you're really talking my language. I think, yes. You know, and, and I love reading those books, Frederick Forsyth and all that. And, and uh, those are the books that really got me going. But <clears throat> the thing was, is that when I started this story, it was, it's this espionage story, you know, um, but it's probably my most personal story because the adoption part of it is sort of based on my experience okay. of an adoption search, right? And I was fortunate enough, I did meet my birth mother and, um, and it wasn't, yeah. And my mom and dad were great. I mean, I have, you know, they've all passed on, but, um, you know, it's the better version of that story. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a thing about finding my parent. It was, it was, there was reasons why I wanted to meet her at the time. And, um, <laughs> and I had, uh, I, I put a thing into CFS and I got a response back like a match, right. You know, it has to match. Yep. And, uh, it came back in like within a week and I was jaw dropped. So here I am at my age at the time, and never really gave this a lot of forethought, you know, and, uh, and, or that, you know, this person had been carrying this for all these years to this degree. Yeah. And so she was very, very young when she had me and I was sitting on the back porch. This, this always gets to me. Uh, I was sitting on the back porch at my dad's house. He was still alive and I let him read the letter. And he handed it back to me and said, I think a 16-year-old girl does know, deserves to know you're okay. Um, oh, wow. And I lost my dad four months later. And I was already kind of researching the idea. I'd already met my birth mother and that experience. And I saw what happened, you know, when I told her that she made the right choice for me. And she just nearly dropped in my arms. And all of that emotion packed into who the character Michael Spencer became because Michael Spencer was my birth name before I was adopted. Oh, and I thought, damn, I would have had so many more girls in high school. <laughs> if I was Michael Spencer, not Cam Patterson with the crooked nose, you know? And <clears throat> anyway, I thought what a cool name. <laughs> I'm a Michael and it didn't bode well. So you're not missing too much. Okay. Um, but you know, and then, and then the rest of the story just played out. But because uh, my dad had passed, um, I realized that I had brought the birth father into the story sooner than it was originally planned. And um, he kind of led the journey in this whole idea of coming back to save the life of the son he never met. So, and my dad's in a number of these characters. There's traits in these characters that are definitely my dad. And I realized at the end of writing that my first manuscript for two and a half years took uh, the last chapter in this book is for my dad. And I realized I kept him with me for three years. 
So it was really a personal, personal yeah. story. And I've had several friends that knew my dad and basically they've all called it. They said, dude, that last chapter is for your dad. I said, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I want to read it. I, yeah. I, I want to read it. I, I, I bought a fucking tablet for a reason. So <laughs> I want to read it. And Fantastic. Uh, I, I, I think that's so great. Like when, like, I love how the sausage is made. I'm, I've been like, you talk about, father stuff and 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 father issues and all that like we we joke on the show all the time that the reason i'm i have such a wide variety of movies is because my dad was like here you go uh better than a parent and yeah, 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 yeah. i go from dr chicago <laughs> to Juice and everything in between yeah and I love it all and it's because i had this trove of fucking this is where i get all sad mopey dopey but like i'm just like i had all these characters to entertain me and the one i wanted wasn't there but um i like when stuff like that is buried inside and finding out why like it just creates yeah. a, i like knowing the creative story like that's why I, I i i like knowing about screenwriters so much because is that what we're watching in some way shape or form is coming from you as a person so when mm -hmm. you read your thing or watch your thing or listen to your thing then it, it doesn't show you who you are but it gives me an insight to how and there's a human level to it right and i think that's great yeah yeah, and the, it takes us back to, uh, to be honest, um, it also, why I wanted to keep it centered in Winnipeg, even though it travels around, right? It's Toronto, it's Vancouver, it's San Diego, Bahamas. Yeah, it's all over the place. But, you know, the main character is here. And, um, and then I wanted it to be RCMP and CSIS. And I wanted to show that, um, you know, CSC is, you know, if it's, it's a big organization, um, you know, but it's still fictionalized, but it just mattered to me that it was still, you know, it's not hard to make all this look sexy. You know, it's not hard to make Winnipeg look sexy at all. And I just wanted to, you know, I put a car chase in there. So, it, I mean, as much as it is a true espionage book and it, the pace gets pretty crazy, you know, pretty much half the book is, is just, you know, it's, it, it's a race. And uh, to save, you know, to save them lives and find this information they need, and you know, before these bad guys kill their families, and you know, and why that was happening. But to put you in the you know, prime minister's residence, and to put you in the PMO, and to put you into this thing of Ottawa, and my birth mother was a great resource because she was, she was working within that political world. She she knew all that stuff, so it was really wow. helpful and cool. Yeah, so it was kind of neat. That's it was a lot of fun to write. How long? How long did you write it for in totality? Sorry. How long did you write it for in totality, start to finish? Yeah, the first draft was two and a half years, but when I did it this time, I I got through the draft in about three or four months. Wow. Yeah, because I still have, well, the whole story was sort of there, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I was just picking parts. The thing my manager wanted me to do was, um, you know, because they're looking at how we could present this to you know, producers, how, how, how this IP could be turned into something. And, um, and I said, well, I really, you know, I actually worked out like six or seven more books based on Michael Spencer graduating as we go. So she took those things, but the second novel is a complete psychological thriller that's off the charts, screwed up and sick. And <laughs> it's, I don't know what was going on in my life, man. It was first person, <laughs> craziness and 
And then I've had a few people read it and they said, you need to finish this. This is like crazy. Good. <laughs> Can't leave us hanging, man. Yeah, it was called Obvious. And it, uh, hopefully I can get it out. I think I might even actually put it into smaller books so I can do one, two, and three. And then I'll have the fourth one done by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, and then option it for a book to yourself because you can't. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, just or let someone option it. I'm okay having retirement. That's good. Yeah, right? Residuals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TV series, that's what you want. Um, yeah. Okay. So when when do you know it's ready? Like, the, I, I can sit and do a thing and beat a thing to death and get lost in it. How, do you get lost in your characters and not able to uh, be objectively like when, because this is a thing where like, yes, you've got a manager, you're working with someone. I, I imagine you're getting notes. You're being, you, you yeah. know, you got a Sherpa, so to speak. And yeah, yeah. They, they both came in. Yeah. So do you, do you have your own perspective? Do you know when it's ready or when? Yes. Okay. You do. Right, you do. You actually do. You know, you, you get through it and, um, I know with the screenwriting, like going through a script, it's just question mark, question mark. I don't even make notes for myself anymore. I just, as I'm reading, just question mark. And, you know, and who knows what that question mark means, but I'll know yeah. I'll remember it when I come back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This dialogue sucks. Uh, do I need this scene? You know, I'm not sure this works anymore. It worked when I was writing it, but now that I've got the ending, it doesn't work. And who knows what? And then when you kind of get through it and there's no more question marks on the page. I'm in pretty good shape, but then, you know, after that's just the structural part of it. Yeah. And then there's, you know, I'll do a separate pass where I'll just completely focus on the dialogue. And then there's another pass where I'll focus on, you know, the actual, you know, grammar, because I tend to write in a pretty terse style for screenwriting, but, um, you know, and so I'll do several different passes, just focusing on different aspects. Once I sort of, I'm, I'm pretty solid on the story, you know? Yeah, no. Oh, and I, the book was the same. It was. I I I I admire that because I have no self. I can't self edit at all. I can't be. I'm like, oh, it'll just turn into like a pound of smoke. And well, it's only a start, and that's the thing about a screenplay is this is just you know this is the first draft idea, and um, who knows what happens with these things. I mean, if they sell them, I'd love to be involved. Who knows? You can't predict that plan either. And I'm certainly not going to stand in the way of it if somebody's going to really take it and do something really great with it, then it becomes theirs. You know, and then if they keep you on, and I've, you know, I've had situations where just pencil it up, give it back, and I'll shape it to what you think you need for, to make your movie, you know, to do your show. But, <clears throat> you know, so it, it evolves and changes because more, more creative people with stake come into it. And uh, that process can be pretty good too. You, you know, it can lift it, you know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you all know when it starts turning into something that you don't want to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I've had right. that experience once. Yeah. <clears throat> when is, does it look the same in your mind when you, when you get to um, I don't know. It, you know, honestly, there's only been a couple of things, at least in that drama thing that were actually done. Um, a lot of the stuff was whatever happened to them. I don't know. I wasn't ever told if they were ever produced or made um you know i know i wrote several horror scripts for one guy for a while and yeah, i don't know if he ever got them done they might change the titles or they might even just went to a different writer you know like so a different stage be, of development that's it's interesting because just being a someone who who doesn't put 
all of their their brain power into creating this world and then like you you kind of got to be a little you got to be okay to cut the cord a lot of yeah that. totally oh 100 percent. yeah i'm i'm not uh i'm not so stuck on um even the novel i mean if somebody you know yeah i got a script call it what it is it's a first draft of something but you know how far do you take this you wrote the novel you're going to write the screenplay you what you want to direct the movie you may as well edit and do the marketing on your own too like you have you can't you know it, it's it, it doesn't even matter if you have the skills um there's just a point where you're just too too in it you know you know what i mean yeah, like no, you're, you're, yeah. Your, your objective eye is different and um you know <clears throat> i mean i might sit in the book and go yeah but the last chapter means so much it's got to be the end of your movie well it doesn't really work <laughs> you know, i hate to tell it to you you know Okay. So, so the <laughs> you know, I mean, you could try and fight that fight, but unless it really, it's not that I, I you know, I acquiesce that easily. If I really think, you know, that it's, it, you know, the plot's just getting churned around too much. That's, that's one thing. But, you know, who knows what governs some of these changes? I mean, the last thing that governs the changes are stories. Sometimes there are budget, there are locations, there are availabilities, there are who knows what. <clears throat> Yeah, no, and 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 that's the thing that a lot uh, that's behind the 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 big budget movie is that there was all of these things that had to line up perfectly to get to where we are here. So all these changes that you're speaking of, yeah, yeah. like it it can be a speed bump and totally taken in a different direction that you know you may not have had in in mind. Yeah, but you know, of all the scripts I wrote for people, I mean, maybe there's five or six maybe five or six and yeah i think well okay maybe a few more but you know one two got made and um one was a pretty unforgettable thing because you know you just you're just not attached to it yeah you get to that point right i mean at all and um and then this one in vancouver last year i mean yeah i wasn't even told it was in production i found out after the fact so but that's fine i mean that's that's not the contract right the contract is you know give us a story and uh, here's your money and you know nice um and but the rest of them i think they were just you know they got these producers got money um, for spec they got you know money for development on ideas and they wrote the idea whether it got turned into something else or got me i don't know but i know i got paid for the draft that i wrote and you know, so my agent went through it, and we felt pretty good. And there you go, say the vie. What do you? I want to. I want to switch gears here for a second, and we we'll we'll come back to. I, I want to get your take on stuff because you are you are so devoted to the thing you make, and you you love characters. Like what characters, right now in your wheelhouse, and your in, in what you're watching, and what's what's going on in media. What kind of characters are drawing you in these days that are being churned out that entertain you? If you like the thriller and the horror, it sounds, but like, where do you, or, or what, what's your, what's your taste, man? Wow. I'm not even sure I know how to answer that. I know it's a, it's, <clears throat> yeah, you know, you take a second, I need water and we can, <laughs> we can always edit. So I'll come right back.
Okay, I think I got an answer. <laughs> All right, what's your answer? I, you know, in, in some ways, I think I'm, because I'm thinking about stuff I've written and, and stuff I've done, um, stories I've created. And I, I, I really like the reluctant hero, you know, <clears throat> um, kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really not too keen on writing the, you know, the, you know, the, I love James Bond, but that's a different thing. Yeah. You know, he's, there's an aspect to that that's sort of part of the character, but, but to write something where it's, you know, someone so perfect and keen and does it so easily, I'd, I'd rather deal with a person that's sort of a real person. Trouble. And, and they're faced with this extreme situation that forces this aspect of them out. And that, that kind of stuff really does appeal to me, actually. <clears throat> and I got, uh, you know, <clears throat> several. I got a movie I wrote that I just, I like it so much. It's a great monster thriller horror flick. It's never going to get made. It's never going to see light of day in anywhere. <clears throat> and it's, and, and it's Yeti. And I, you know, you, you know, same again. My agent was like, you're writing a script on what? <laughs> you know, because you always thought, well, I always see bad Yeti movies, man. You know, guys in white gorilla suits and stuff. Why don't we do something real? You know, put a snowboarder on Everest and, and they encounter a real animal and, and it's not a myth. And that's where it's how many think of the money. If, if you suddenly found this myth to be real, think of the money that would be involved, you know, and they created a great thriller. And yeah, yeah and, and a real animal and a real threat. And, uh, and it was just fun. It was just so much fun. <laughs> it's just so much fun. And same thing, you guys are reluctant, you know, he's a washed out snowboarder trying to reclaim his olympic gold that he lost to drug overdosing oh and oh, not inspired yeah. by yeah i get <laughs> yeah yeah that typical guy right and but you know his you know the this team gets attacked and he you know and you can't see anything in a snowstorm i was thinking well you can't see a shark underwater so what if you can't see the animal in the snowstorm Ooh, now we're getting good yeah yeah so yeah. now you're hiding things now you're hiding things. now you can't see it so you're afraid of something you can't see and and uh, so it, 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 yeah, it was fun. But like I said, it's been, you know, the tire got kicked a couple of times, but yeah, it just didn't go. Are there, um, this reboot, reuse, recycle <laughs> bullshit that is happening more and more with things that should be left well enough alone? Yes. As a as a writer, as somebody who's a creative, who's l coming up with original content, I mean, everything takes from everything, right? Every, comedy, the arts, every you know, there's a little bit of you know, it, it's homaging, right? It's I see you and this is you, and I, I appreciate it, so I'm going to use it and run with it. Quentin Tarantino does it all day long, right? Yeah, yeah. But the re I guess the question is, is coming from a perspective where you're like, here, take this and run with it. This monster movie, Yeti, like these are original ideas and there are pockets of the world that like these stories. There are channels out there. There are streaming networks now that yeah, totally. have a home for these crazy out there ideas. So like, isn't that like a kind of a kick to the dick, so to speak? <laughs> like you're sitting here and you're like, hey, yeah. but yet you go and you want to redo Beetlejuice, right? And you're just like, why? Like, why? Yeah, yeah, because it's, guaranteed i guess because it's a proven ip that's a big conversation i had uh 
it's okay. I'll give you an example of this, yes. which is exactly what you're talking about. Um, I hadn't, you know, I walked into a thing in LA. They had read this drumming script and they really seemed to like it. They had some changes they wanted me to consider and I, it seems fine. And uh, I walk into the room, there's three people in there, <laughs> you know, and after they've read it and this is like, they, they've even read it and, and then we're talking and, um, you know, and they, but they say, but you know what, isn't it kind of like whiplash? Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, number one, don't even get me started on how whiplash got panned in the drumming world, but you know, um, no, no, but no, 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 hang on, hang isn't on. that a good thing? And yeah. I, I actually had the, I said, but isn't that a good thing? I mean, he, they proved that there's a, this concept is true that it's, it's a very visual music form. It's a very visual instrument. And so clearly it's been proven that this is the way to go. I mean, how many freaking baseball movies do you want to make? And, you know, like, and you're, you're comparing it to one, yeah, one, and it won an Academy Award, you know, the movie was beautiful, like it was beautifully photographed, it was, you know, be beautifully acted, but just the drumming aspect of it just really didn't connect for me, in, just didn't connect as true. In all. the way that that's pretty much abuse by any rule of law anywhere else in the world, like, like, yeah. I can understand the commitment to wanting to be perfect. That's that's human, right? And I can understand splinters in busted hands and trying to impress somebody. That's human, yep. but it's not human when your when your sensei beats you senseless for no reason. Like unless the, there's no lesson against it, then it, it's abuse. Yeah, yeah. That seemed a little. I mean, as much as as much as he's uh, he's unbelievable in that role, but that role. I don't feel would would reflect well in the drumming community because teacher student relationship isn't isn't remotely close. no and it went further than that um he's you know, must yeah great actor great director like the stuff he's done like is amazing but uh um the guy wasn't a drummer and it showed up you know like it's you could just tell in the physiology of you know it's the way the stick sits in the hand it's the way the foot slides on the drum plate the, the bass pedal plate there's there's a way your body form and shape takes and and all those things just were not there and it just didn't look believable in the performance and that really hurt it for me and there was a lot of drummers that i know that were very much feeling that way but <clears throat> so for me this you know this drumming movie it's like i want an actor who's a drummer go get him <laughs> yeah you know I want it to be a drummer. It has to be a drummer. Otherwise, um, there's just no point. It's just, you know, it's not going to play true at all. Any other and, any other inaccuracies and in anything else that you see on screen when it comes to a lesson, sorry, a skill like drumming where you sit there? Because that's that's always interesting to me is that like whenever someone's doing hair in a movie and Shauna sees it and I just look over and I'm like, okay so <laughs> and he's like duh, 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 and i'm like holy shit right so like does that does that show up anywhere else for you um nothing that jumps out in my mind anything that's um, really good <laughs> with uh drumming or or what you mean just with yeah no drumming like have you ever seen a performance pulled off yeah then uh there was the real old movie um i can't remember the actor's name 
and he died suddenly. He, he was killed in LA. Um, it was a real heartthrob, but he was really, it just played convincing. It was the Gene Krupa story. And um, geez, who was his name? I can't remember his name. But there was something that was very true there um, in what was done. And you know, it could even just be the way it was all staged and handled. You know, because, you know, just like anything else, you break it down like a choreographed dance. You know, you could find a way to, you know, cut it together later if you had to. But <clears throat> who, uh, who do you love playing right now? Like what? Who, who, who oh, would... man. <clears throat> um, I'm a big Vinnie Colaiuta fan still. And he's everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> you can Is barely he... turn the TV on without hearing the track he's done. So is he a, like a, just a working musician and people are using him in band after band after band for recording? Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's been with Stings, with uh, Frank Zappa, he's been, you know, um, Joni Mitchell, it's endless. It's, it's a big long list. Jeff Beck, it's just, you know, um, but he's, he's just, he's just a great player. Uh, Chad Wackerman's a really favorite one. Um, there's drummers in this town that I love going to see play. You know, Chris Sutherland, he lives in Toronto now. He's playing with Streetheart back now again. Mitch Dorch is a good friend, but he's always been one of my favorite drummers too. Uh, a friend of mine, Ty Rogers, he's always playing. Like there's, there's just a lot of drummers, um, even locally on that level. But, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> you know, when I started doing the work for Modern Drummer, it was, it was really interesting. Um, we started doing these this video series here, and uh, <clears throat> and it just started out because they were I think they were trying to figure out how to to work more video into their magazine online profile, right? Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it came. It was like Tico Torres, Bon Jovi, Abe Laboreal Jr. with Paul McCartney. Oh wow! Um, yeah, Mark Schulman, who was here with Pink, and then came back a few months later for Cher and okay, um so when you that's that's so interesting because everybody's like share pink and you're like the drummer <laughs> like that's where you're like that's your interest i love i think that's really fucking cool because nobody yeah. nobody's ever paying attention to that part of the show no and and we got to do something really cool i mean i've, I've actually seen the format replicated in the drum community after we did it we we also did a bit with their drum techs and that wow that's cool totally do you want to hear the five second story how that came yeah, about no, do it man okay because you might get sued um and we're not that big of a deal <laughs> okay uh we were supposed to meet with tico torres he was here in winnipeg at the arena playing bon jovi but it was the day before that the fallout happened between richie savor and the band okay so the whole plan went to hell and i ended up oh, in so the that's uh, a yeah. big story that's happening in real time yeah Here. yeah and 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 it was a big deal um tico torres had changed from pearl um to dw drums after playing nothing but pearl his entire career so that's why the magazine wanted it uh, so i had to get him in sound check and he he called me several times we worked it out he would do the sound check with me and i could film that and do all that and and so it all was gone because they were not even here. They didn't even get in here till like four or five in the afternoon and um, that day. And so his drum tech, okay, this is very funny. And so his drum tech is, uh, um, he's more than willing to talk the drum kit down, you know? And he came from Aerosmith and he's this big long history. 
and he you know talked us through the drum kit and covered all of that and then so i cut it together and um i still was hoping to shoot the sound check when they were doing sound check but then they were they had their guitar player who they brought in from toronto and uh and that was essentially their rehearsal so they said we can't let you do this right now. So I thought, okay, but they had the isolated cameras all over the place, right? That play on the big screen. Sure, yeah. And I know that they have a video village back there and they record it all. Like they record each camera. And what I didn't know is they do a full house mix as well. And so anyway, I said, can I just get, you know, the ISO cameras on, on him? And uh, yeah, and John Bon Jovi said, I'll give you more than that. I'll give you you know two songs complete front of house so modern drum over nuts and uh and when i cut it together here was this bit also that tied in the uh the drum tech so the next job was Abe laboreal jr with paul mccartney at the stadium jesus and i had two young guys that you know they came and filmed it with me that was brad crawford and bj Rowe. <laughs> and uh and uh, yeah and i have a soft spot for those two guys but <clears throat> So they, uh, you know, they came and they filmed it with me and, and we did it. And we're sitting there and we had uh, uh, a cameraman who used to live here, Steve Morrison, came and did it too. And anyway, <laughs> we're setting up and this guy, um, my partner Sue is talking to this guy, really thick British accent. And here it's Paul McCartney's personal assistant, this guy, Nigel or something. And, um, and they're talking, talking, talking. And he comes over, he says, by the way, Cam, uh, Paul is ready for you on the stage. <laughs> I was just, I felt like I felt sweat going down my armpit. Uh, what? And, uh, and I think there was a bit of shock. I, I think for a second we thought, is that really going to happen? And I, I can't speak for Brad and BJ who were there that day, but I, I think there was a bit of moment of, <laughs> did he just say Paul? Anyway, by the time we got out there, here it was... Uh, Abe's drum tech, who was named Paul Davies. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, here comes Abe Boreal, and he's, he's like huge. He's, he's, he's this massive drum figure in, in the drum world. And he came in, he's in Winnipeg. You know, I said, you know, I wasn't even supposed to meet with him till like later afternoon. And here we are midday, and he's, no, I'm, he, he wanted to come out and watch his drum tech do his bit. That's and he hung out the whole day. And that's the vibe that got caught. And after that, it was all the drummers, all those guys, uh, they all want, you know, they all, I mean, the drum techs knew what was coming by the time we got there to set up and do it. And that's the thing that caught on with Modern Drummer. And, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was that's really great. great. That's yeah. A, I mean, the, the publication for drumming, I would say. The Bible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll go so far as to say it's still the Bible magazine for drumming in the world. Yeah. And is that like I imagine switching brand names for a magazine? That's a big scoop, right? Like that's that's something that in the drum world. Cause well, the, for him, yeah, ch changing a drum kit was a big deal. <clears throat> right, like, you know, pads on a goalie—that's brand advertising, right? Who's watching? Like the the bass drum has the name right on it, so it's yeah. And it, it was so much fun just sitting down and talking to those guys, you know. And found out I'm I'm actually pretty good at kind of getting rid of the. Uh, you know, the fanboy moment doesn't sit there very long for me. And, and you can just start talking to the person. Because when they sit down with you, you really are just, you're on person to person now. So, I've yeah. even, you know, I'd even ask them, you know, because they get hammered with stuff. Is there anything you really want to talk about? <laughs> like, just to start off, I, I can start in with questions. But, you know, and they always, you know, no one ever asked me about this. Okay, let's do that. 
And so it was just, a, it ended up being just a really great conversation. And, and uh, a lot of times it was, uh, you know, <clears throat> they'd give you the sound mixes. Um, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They give you the mixes. They take care of that. The, the video guys, um, same thing, Cartney show, they gave me the ISO cameras for that too. So, you know, that's a big deal. <clears throat> I'll tell you a really great story what happened. Yeah. Um, my uh, father-in-law is from Britain and he, uh, he played bass years ago, but he was, you know, he lived there in that same area and he was at the cavern when Ringo Starr first got on the Beatles. Oh, wow. And yeah. So anyway, I guess the, um, Sue had told this Nigel this story and he had some tickets for us to give for us guys i mean i didn't expect that because these things were you know it was pretty much sold out and he's you know and they were up in the top anyway he goes comes back and he said i had different tickets but now i'm going to give you these uh, <laughs> but he gave me two more and he says i'll give you these yeah and they were for everybody like you know uh bj brad you know we all we all went to the show later and and um which was so great um but he gave me the ticket he says i'll give you these these are 11th row center but you've got to go and get her parents <laughs> yeah so i can't even tell you how jazz that, that was that was quite a night that was really something <laughs> that's magical man that was so cool that was and that didn't need to happen you know that that certainly wasn't expected at all no and it's yeah. i think yeah i think you've just nailed it for everybody because when you really think about it yeah you're fanning and i mean i'm i'm a nerd right i i, I, did, yeah. I did this thing with kevin smith and like that that's my that's my guy right yeah i okay speaks my language so i have said and will always say since day one like i was keeping my cool on purpose like i i was yeah. front and center direct on it because i was like i'm not like you just it's almost like if you really know a thing about somebody find out something you don't and like you said ask yeah. Question, right so like you could sit there and ask whatever and i was a hired person i was i was paid I, netflix not netflix skip the dishes paid me to do it um the whole story is fucking hilarious because yeah. i said to a guy who i know who we both know i said to aaron dole steve's friend aaron yeah that, oh right because he's yeah okay yeah, I yeah. Said, if, if nobody at skip can do this you just know that i would do it i could I could clamp down. I could, I could be professional. I could be an adult. Yep, yep. And, uh, and it would just be fun. Cause it would test my metal, right? See if I act stupid or not. Cause who fucking knows anymore. And, <laughs> uh, and it, and it, and it went off well, like we did it in his house in a pandemic talking to Kevin Smith on skip the dishes, like Instagram feed for an hour straight. Like it was so, no strange. way. And, yeah, I know. You know. They let me ask some of my fanboy questions. They were super good about that. But like the hilarity of it is, is like, and I wish I was watching this, but like in the live feed, I was up first because he was a couple minutes late. And someone's like, yep. Is this Kevin Smith if you bought him on wish.com? <laughs> <laughs> and then the guys took a screenshot of that. I have it. I'm like, Yeah, I'm Kevin Smith if you bought me on wish.com. So, but like, I, I, I think that's really neat. Like, I never thought about it like that. Like, just ask him a thing. Be like, so what do you think about this? And it's completely irrelevant. Oh, yeah. You know, it's person to person, like you say. And then you, you can have that conversation that you want. Well, you get down to the person pretty quick, you know, and that gets them talking about 
the thing that they're asked to talk about all the time, even though they still love it. But, you know, I mean, it's sometimes it's it's always regurgitated stuff, especially for people on that level. Right? Yeah. But but yeah, and then it was pretty, pretty amazing. Some of the stories that would come out because, you know, they actually did kind of work their way into really kind of getting more personal about what they were talking about. No, that's my- I, I, I love doing it. It just, it, uh, we did about six or seven of them and it got me to Vegas working for Modern Drummer at a big festival down there and really hanging out with some guys. Um, yeah, it was fun. Is that, I mean, is that Mecca? They're still friends. Like this, What's that? Is this like the Mecca for drummers, this conference? They were trying to do, uh, they, they, they did a festival down in Vegas and um, <clears throat> there was a lot of, a lot of, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of heavy, heavy guys in that room. I, but, want, to, I want to pivot back to, uh, to your, to your real town, to your writing and, and, and stuff. Um, yes. What's, what drives you nuts today about what's going on with just just recycled gobbledygook i, I kind of wanted to get back to that and get get your opinion on it because it seems that tv's the new the new thing to throw money at right and 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 if you mm-hmm. can stream it and you can subscribe to it like HBO and and the big ones like I'll I'll never turn down an HBO series because they put so much into it but is there I guess what I'm saying is is, is there is it hard to stomach a lot of the crap that's coming out now or is it is I it... don't think I have that hard of a reaction to it no um you know <clears throat> I still love it when I dial in there's been a couple movies I saw recently um yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking. In a no nice... sudden move, I okay. thought it was great. Is it? Is it? Did I get the title right? Is it no sudden moves? No sudden with Don Cheadle and uh, Steven uh, Soderbergh did it. Oh, on uh, Crave. Okay, yeah, Benito del Toro, yeah. Don Cheadle. That's yeah, great. yeah. Okay, it is great, and and even everything about it, man. It it was just so well written, so well done. I mean, you're just in. You're just solidly in, right? I had uh, um, even just the other night um, the woman in the window with uh, Amy Adams. Yes. And it's sort of an homage to Hitchcock's um, rear window. Interesting. I saw it briefly. I didn't catch too much about it. But it's so well, man, I I highly recommend it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, It, it, it actually made me start at some point. Like, and that does not happen often. (laughs) <laughs> right? that does not happen often anymore it um but it's just so well done i mean it was and you could tell it's it's just it, you know they had a hell of a script to work with clearly right um and then you get someone who really knows what they're doing with that genre that you know they know how to create the shadows they know how to you know everything about what they're doing cinematically is enforcing this tone is enforcing this you know, the story. And um, sometimes that's the thing that I notice the most is you know, when the lighting is just too even, too lit, and and yet you're trying to create a thriller, you're trying to create a, a edginess or a tension. Those kind of things I think I notice more than, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm just not that much of a critic. Okay. Uh, I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't feel like I'm that much more of a critic because I kind of take 
the show for you know what it is and I either like it or I really don't. Or, yeah, I guess I just I see it like there's just and maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe that's where I'm 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 approaching this from because there's just so much of it, right? Like and and because there's so much it waters like it yeah. muddies the waters and you can't find the good stories and the and the interesting characters as easily I guess as 10 years ago and maybe I'm on the urge of or on the verge of becoming one of those senile people who just complains about yesteryear. <laughs> yeah, and and I am by no way by any means here an expert at uh you know what the um in you know engaging what the the appetite is yeah um you know for some of the people that i had these you know call them pitch meetings and um you know you know what it is but i know a lot of times the conversation always started with is there a proven ip so you know if i had you know for instance these two projects the sod man and swing king it yeah. It came back to, you know, is there a proven IP or do you have an IP? Is it a book? Is there something? So they're always trying to attach this IP. And I, I guess in a sense, because most IPs now, like the book, yeah. you know, you can, you can get them out there and you can prove the validity, you know, to the IP, even though it's really not a true representation of whether it's any good or not you know you just you know i've i've been listening into a lot of things trying to get educated on how to do this and a lot of these authors are talking about doing three four books a year and i'm like yeah whatever <laughs> i'm sorry there's no way that that you know i have our time believing you could write that much and it's going to be really that good but <clears throat> the point is is though is that it's become a very savvy marketing thing more than it's become as uh, you know this yeah i get what you're writing saying writing thing yeah and that's where it's going and so it doesn't mean the ip's proven doesn't necessarily mean that the you know there's a solid um story here with some great characters and you could really find something really good in it but the thinking is that the ip is proven it gives them the advantage to sell this or or whatever because that's why they keep going back to these older shows and trying to regurgitate them okay so th thank you because i'm just wondering I'm not in my, you know, small vacuum, right? I'm not hearing people screaming for bring back everything in the nineties. That is part of one of the greatest eras of filmmaking and start, you know, 4 Kang it. I don't like, there's a reason that grit is on it and that style is there just yeah. as the style of the silent film era. And you know, the fifties, like you, when you yeah. 4k citizen Kane, you lose why citizen Kane is fun to watch. True. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, like no Criterion was doing it the other day, and I'm like, this is not. And I'm not saying I won't watch it, right? I'm just saying. So you're saying someone redid Citizen Kane? No, they're 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 um, Criterion is going to be doing their first 4K release for an old film, and it's going to be Citizen Kane. They're going to bring it in. Oh, film. okay. So they're going to recut it and and make it perfect. And you, as a person who's played drums, like. The one thing from movies, which is all of my yeah, knowledge. yeah, some imperfections are good things. Yes, like you've seen Sound City, you know yeah. why tape worked more than digital because tape meant you had a set of balls and you wouldn't screw up because you knew how to play. And if there was imperfections, it sounded great. I don't yeah. want yeah. Rosebud to be perfect. I want it to be grainy and in in part of an era and that's and be reminded of that cinematic era and that's i'm the critic you're the I'm, I'm no the... i agree with you there's there's something especially something like citizen kane i mean 
you know, like Greg Tolan did. Um, you know, there's a few movies that I really noticed uh, cinematography on that really got me hooked. And, and it was when I was younger. And the first movie that really rifled me really hard, um, you know, after Star Wars, right? But, you know, Star Wars was, you know, was great. But when I went into theater to watch Alien, man, that just changed everything about how I saw a movie look. I'd never seen anything look like that ever. And, and I actually remember it. I <laughs> going with my hockey team, you know, there's a bunch of us. And we went over to meet these girls or something big horror movie no we were all screaming like girls and that thing came out of the chest and everyone was throwing up in the theater people were throwing up in the theater really you were one of those yeah and it really happened but i mean it was just the visual was just crazy and i just remember being like really noticing that after that and then um and then when i you know got into uh, wanting to direct and, and do things like that, I really became attracted more and more to cinematographers, almost than directors. And, uh, you know, um, and what Greg Tolan did in Citizen Kane for the time period is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's just unbelievable. To this day, it's still unbelievable. And um, I was even watching it not too long ago, and my, my son was here, and he's even like, you know, now he's starting to get a sense of, you know, this. And he's like, how do I get the focus like that? <laughs> I said, yeah, <laughs> right? And I said, well, that's full focus. They built their own lenses for it. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So like that kind of stuff or the story of King Kong and how it got made. I mean, I am a monster movie guy. Yeah. And I, I love King Kong. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. But more than that, it's the story behind how they pulled it off, how, how uh, Willis O'Brien made it work with this 18 inch thing and, uh, and how he built a fan to keep the film from melting because he had to do stop motion. And, and just the innovation that went behind, never mind getting the images, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. Just, just leave it alone. So I, it's, yeah. A so, little bit, a little bit like, you, you know, God help us. Hopefully no one tries to redo Jaws. That would be bad. Yeah, Stevens from his <laughs> dead grip. Um, yeah. But I, 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 it's cool because I, coming from your perspective, who's who's making things, if that was me, I would be like, fucking put some spotlight over here, people. Like, you, you know, stop. But, yeah, now knowing where the gamble comes from with the proven IP and, you know, going back to the well, how many times can yeah. we do Batman? How many times can we do Superman, right? Like, it... It, yeah, that's a good one, actually. I don't know how many times I thought Christopher Nolan's Batman was pretty darn good. Yeah, I don't. I thought, although, you know, it, it, he, he, he took the cartoon aspect out of it completely, which is great. That And that's the, the Joker performance will go down as the, I mean, I'm sorry, Jack. Heath did it work better. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. a different script, a different thing was required. You know, if you look at it that way, I mean, he True. walked in with a yeah. script and he walked in with a director and he walked in with, you know, how they wanted it done and how it was supposed to leave, look and be perceived. And, and Heath Ledger walked in with a completely different director and different script and different tone to perform in, right? To perform for. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, I, I thought so. I thought, you know, his movies get pretty complicated for me, though. I, I thought I'm a pretty smart guy, but sometimes it's like, oh, wow. 
<clears throat> every everything is tenant on this show. We always somehow manage to work it into. Not... I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen Tenant yet? Okay. Um, lots I of should coffee. see it. Yeah, lots of coffee. Uh, toothpicks under your eyes to not blink, because if you blink, you will indefinitely miss something. Okay. Um, it's a mind bend. Like, it literally, like, when I think about how to try to understand it, my I, I feel the effects of a migraine coming on. Okay. So, just multiple watches, and then one day you'll be like, Eureka, I get it. Yeah. Because I, I uh, you know, like, stuff like Memento is genius. Oh, and and then you know when they re-released it on DVD, they're like, "Here's the actual way it was filmed, and here's the way we made it." And and then you get to see it, and you're like, "Yeah, this would have been horrible if it had been done in chronological order." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of your genius? Who would you want to write for? If I could, oh, Ridley Scott. Who? Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. So you okay? Yeah, uh, and I will shamelessly admit right now, I would love to write a Bond movie. No, I, I there's nothing wrong. You know the whole Bond anchor to Winnipeg, right? How the how the yeah. Guy, yeah. William Stevenson and the whole yeah. man, the intrepid why man. I, and why am I asking you, the guy who made the intelligence novel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he worked with Ian Fleming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that. I I am I'm forever Bond. I grew up on the couch Friday nights. Me and my mom would make a thing of popcorn and. And watch Thunderball and Octopussy and like it just everything you can think of over and over and over again. Mostly Sean, some Roger, Dalton never made it into the cut. No. No, he didn't have great scripts, but he was such a good actor though. Yeah, he's he's great in the he's this is his new series I was watching him on on uh on Crave. Uh oh, it's got Brendan Fraser in it. It's a DC comic series. He's made a comeback as a as a smart professor who can travel through time, and he's just great. And I'm like, man, if you couldn't, they just didn't give you Bond. Now you might actually be able to pull it off. Oh yeah, no, he was he, he's a great actor, you know. But the scripts weren't there, and the director was John Glenn was the director, right? <clears throat> but <clears throat> those, are, those are the Bonds that we kind of stay away from, I guess, as being true Bond fans. Yeah, but <clears throat> you know. Um, why Ridley Scott? Is it because of the fact that the guy? Alien. Okay, all right. I've like yeah. I think I was pretty much stuck on. That's the first time I actually knew. I mean, I couldn't have told you who Steven Spielberg was when I first saw Jaws. I was so, you know young. Uh, George Lucas, I guess I didn't. I don't know. I just noticed it. It just stuck out at me. And, um, you know, um, visual guy. I I just like his visual sensibility to a movie same as david fincher same as you know at the end of the day um these really great directors that are so visual and cinematic they you know they hire great cameramen and they you know have a sense of what they want and aesthetic clearly um but they're really good storytellers at the end of the day they're just good storytellers you know they have a good sense of how to you know how to keep a certain tone and tension into a performance and into a, into the frame so that they don't let the audience go before they have to, you know, that they're very conscious of things like that. And you notice it because when you see movies that aren't done well, it's because that's usually the reason, right? No, I, I, I was, I've been watching, uh, how was I watching with Shauna the other night where we were just, Oh no, that's a trope. And I just fell out. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. and once you're out, like, 
the work to go back in, it 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 feels like I don't owe you that. Like you you had me, and and this is at the same time. I mean, I I'll always give something a chance. I I, I rarely walk away from anything because I'm like, this could turn around. There could be a reason for all of this, mm-hmm. and it'll all come. It's like the Winnipeg Jets. They fix it all in the yeah. right. So yeah, like I. So, I'll, but at the same time, like if I fall out and start calling things or noticing things, then yeah, I and yeah, I guess that's the difference between 77 take David Fincher, which I think is fine. If you're looking for a shot and you want all of the op, you want all of the colors, that's fine. I don't, uh, I've never, I mean, if you're Gary Oldman and you're a little old, that might be the worst. But like, so I saw a really great interview with him, he finally actually addressed that. What, what is, I, I know it's a big thing because he, you know, all these takes he does and all these takes he does. It's not that he does that all the time or for every take or anything, but um, his his idea is, and I thought it was pretty neat. But who has the money or the luxury to do that? But but his take on it was he's trying to give the actor, you know, the point to where it becomes so comfortable and so natural that you know that when they get to that point, that that that's where you know the real thing's going to happen. And, and um and he, you know he picks the moments in the scenes to spend that time on it was sort of how he broke it down but the other thing about it was he says but let's be clear here you know these actors are getting millions of dollars why am i in a rush to get them off the set <laughs> <laughs> and i thought when i heard that i just went that's why that dude's got his job <laughs> i you am know? using every penny that's being spent right yeah, now is they're being paid millions of dollars why am i in a rush to get them off? <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I thought, okay, so that, but at the same time, you know, um, I mean, his movies are built on great performances, right? But there's yeah. so many directors that, you know, Denny Villeneuve just blows my mind. Um, you know, he's just, he's fantastic. Right? Um, and there's, you know, look at even some of the directors we have locally who are really starting to, to really get some real noticing and recognition. Like, yeah, you know, uh, Garrity. Uh, Sean, I love Sean. You know, I actually laughed <laughs> watching him propose. We watched it. It was a great pandemic movie. It was fun. Um, yeah, so if you listen to this, we did like it. Uh, uh, Sean, you know, Lyndon, Hunter Hunter yeah, was really Hunter, good. Hunter. Hunter Hunter was one of the sleeper <laughs> that I... I tell everybody, I'm like, you want to you want to watch something that'll throw your hair back? Uh, try Hunter Hunter. Yeah, and now you know I saw the, the like BJ's movie out, right? The Return. And, yes. And uh, like I said, you know I've I've seen those guys for a long time, and it's great to see them blossoming like that, like really doing something. And I know BJ's wanted to do that for a long time, but you know, um, <clears throat> this goes on and on, and. Um, Norma Bailey is just out there. She's directing television all over the world. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of local directors. I think there's more taking root and I'm not sure why, or maybe it's just, I don't know. Uh, Am I just noticing it more and they were always there, but I don't think that's the case. No, the gene pool is for talent is just deep (laughs) and it's, and it's just growing. I think it's, I think it's, I there's there's a rumbling here in in the industry in Manitoba that's like really awesome like isn't it amazing it's like look where this has come in in 10 15 years it's just nuts it i never thought i'd be referring and referring to and seeing things on on deadline and entertainment tonight and 
and Looper and Screen Rant about places, about yeah. movies and TV shows that are being filmed in my hometown on the sites that I'm reading is just fucking wicked interesting. Like that, how does that, how does that happen? And it only happens honestly. And it's because everybody said the same thing. It's because all you guys are so fucking talented that like, you know, you, you yeah, sure. Tax credit. Let's like, you got to acknowledge it, but. Well, that, that gets the jobs here. That gets yeah. the people here, but the fact... you know, tax credit or not, it, it, unless the crews are there, the abilities there. Yes. Uh, the local talent within, you know, the artisans is there. If none of that's there, the tax credit is going to mean shit. Because yeah, at the end of the day, I got to wait a few years to get it, and you know, so I mean, it it comes down to and the locations. This, you know, I mean, yeah, we don't have mountains, but you know, there's so much diversity in Manitoba. I, I went up north in Lake Winnipeg, and it just blew my mind. I had never been up there in Lake Winnipeg. You know, it's one thing to see it from Grand Beach or Gimli. It's a whole other thing, man, to see that North Basin and some of the shorelines. It's like going, wow, this is the fucking Scottish Highlands. <laughs> like, it's just unbelievable. And and there's a there's an island up there. It's like Gilligan's Island. It's called George's Island. And there's nobody there, man. Nobody there. And it's like, there's just waiting for a horror crew to load up on the Nemeo ship and get its ass out there and make a scary damn movie. Like, it's just unbelievable. And the water's blue. And I'm just like, God, I was just so stunned. And I felt so naive. You know, that's the other side of it. I felt so naive. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty great. I mean, I've got one son working in the industry and, um, you know, and the opportunities he's getting at the level that he's getting them wouldn't no way been as attainable for him 10 15 years ago yeah you know just just wouldn't have been so um i think it's amazing you know we got this trough of producers here and i've worked with some of them you know some of them i only just sort of know as acquaintances this kind of thing but you know i mean it's it's be, it's a viable industry anymore it's not just a cottage wannabe thing in a big way yeah i, I i'm just so like I, it's it's great to be proxy too. It's great to do this thing here and have the the access to everybody who who's very happy to talk to us, and we're very happy that you guys say yes like that. It's just fun to do because it's this it's your backyard, right? It's not it's not off in in the wild blue yonder that's unattainable, and you've got to travel across the world to this town called L.A. and it only exists there. Like it's yeah, it's in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is sexy, like you said. And it is you know and it plays yeah. different things where you can you can put a ton of different shades of lipstick on us and we all look like it, it looks different right you've got That's right you've got the prairies you've got the 30s and the 40s in chicago and new york like it's it's the it's this weird dichotomy of of things that ends up being oh we can we can sean penn can shoot a, a film in in winnipeg and it do incredibly well at cans that can happen right and that's only mm -hmm. because of the talent that's here that gets it that far. Yeah. You said like you could have gone Vancouver, you could have gone Toronto. What what else makes you stay here working in the industry here? Like what's the what's well the now? I, I just don't honestly. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, it's not that I'm old. I'm not saying I'm old, but you know, I'm just yeah, I don't want to move now. Like not too out of this province, I don't. But I'd love, you know, I love going, working different places for a time. That's always great. Yeah, it just dispels the you mystery know? of like, 
you got to go there to do it. No, you can be where you are. You just have to work at finding out how to make that happen. Like it, it's just, yeah. Yeah. And I have granddaughters here now. And I'm like, you know, I have one daughter who lives in Toronto and, uh, you know, but, uh, our boys live here and yeah, I just don't want to do that. But <clears throat> what would have it, it, maybe it would have, I there's probably as a writer, uh, trying to do this from Winnipeg, maybe that wasn't my best choice. But you know, I was as much as we're talking about, yeah, I've done this and I've written for this and written for that. I was always kind of doing it um, hand in hand with um, still making a living. You know, if um, if not by writing, I was still in IT and still kept contracts. And and then I was um, at some point it became the whole thing around 2011. Um, I got laid off out of IT and I didn't want to go back. And at that point, it had to become really real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then so I put Sogo together um, with a business partner originally. And and uh, <laughs> coming up with that name was yeah. Yeah. What is I that? I mean, it was Back well. I was okay. It was you know because I was old enough at that point to you know I should have got off my arse and just got deeper into this and pushed harder, I would have had some movie out by now that, you know, Yeah. Um, but because I didn't, so it really became, you know, shit or get off. Shit <laughs> or get off. <laughs> yeah, Sogo, that's neat. Yeah, no, when uh, you, you, you fucking branded that. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, if I would have, been in toronto or vancouver at the time of the yeah maybe absolutely would have been better better for my kids i don't know and i, I was, that was just more risk than i would even now that i'm ever willing to take you know because it just wasn't my you know i didn't get it if i didn't couldn't do it for whatever reason it's not like it's a nine to five job with some stability in it it, it does rely on your ability to get it done and what if it doesn't work out and you know yeah. i had other people that I was responsible for. So. No, and it's, it's, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I only know and I'm biased, but like this, this is a great place to, to just figure it out. Like if you want to get into it, I feel from, from everybody who we've had on the show, they say the exact same thing. It's like, it's a great yeah. idea of people. So if you're going to do it, you're actually going to do it in an environment that's more about it thriving and everybody doing well than the competitive nature of the bigger markets. And yeah, I think eventually you might have to be sure. in that market, not necessarily buy a house there. No, 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 you no. Know, there's a, there's a, there's two choices there. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to, you know, have more relationships in LA, um, with, you know, with the ones that I've got um, in the last few years, but you know, it'd be great to do that. And I, I, since the pandemic before, I think we spent January in LA for the last four years before the pandemic. So we really felt it yeah. through the pandemic, not being able to be there, but um, you know, it, it, it by no means means that I want to buy a house there and uproot my life. That's, that's a totally different choice. And in today's day and age, I don't think that's it. I mean, all, all you need to do is establish a relationship in those centers where there's high commerce for any art form or any any media industry you're trying to do. From there, you can do them anywhere now. Like, you know, 
Yeah, with the age of technology, it's it's it's. I I'm I'm glad you're here. You wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to talk to you otherwise. Yeah, and look at the Zoom call. It's great. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> dropped the 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 borders of the distance between uh, how people communicate with each other and like it put us all on the same playing field. Yeah, on a half second yeah. delay for eighteen yeah, months. It's really neat, <laughs> dude. Um, I. You're more than welcome to come back anytime and and talk more. This was awesome. Thanks for letting me rant about drumming, but... uh, dude. I'm <laughs> glad I got to like I. Steve told me all about the drums, and I was like, "Hey, I want to hear about the drum side too." So, uh, but we like there's way more here that I want to get into with you, and I just want to talk film with you. So you're more than welcome to come back anytime and shoot the shit with me and Steve. Fantastic. Thanks. We did an episode not too long ago that I'm figuring out how to still remove the sound from. Uh, we did a commentary to Bubba Hotep. Okay. That's an upcoming <laughs> episode where me and Steve just sit here and criticize Bubba Hotep for the entire length of the movie. Um, and that's something Steve could totally do. Yeah, no, he was fantastic. Like, I was, he was like, leave the camera on. And I'm like, no. And now I've watched it and I was like, good idea. Well, I'm glad yeah. we have the camera on. Yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the, that's Cameron Patterson for you right there uh if uh, people want to reach out to you and want to hear want to get in touch with you about the company where do they find all that stuff um yeah there's a website um imdb pro i guess i don't know um send me an email i'm not hard to find i'm sure if you google it you can <laughs> find it pretty easy uh i do have a website for the novel um for the novel stuff i've got going on um and getting ready to hopefully by the end of the year get the second book out sweet yeah i'm gonna go buy buy the first book right now okay in case you didn't know it's called the need to know in case you're you're still not sure yeah no i uh i'm gonna put the link to your to your book in the show notes so if somebody's like i want a good canadian spy novel you now know where to find it just click you want a good yeah where uh, a prime minister's assassinated where there's a helicopter crashes into Vancouver. It's all in there, man. It's all in there. And you want to sexy hometown of Winnipeg to anybody in the South who's, you know, their friends in the States. This is how you get to know Canada through Cameron Patterson. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Uh, I love that compliment, actually. We try. Uh, If you want to follow more of us, uh, realdebaters.ca, that's where you can subscribe. Show notes have all of the ways you can support the show. If you like what you heard and you're like, hey, we want to donate some money, throw a couple bucks at us at our donation tab. One or two dollars. It's not any more than that, and it's ridiculous. You can also buy our merch at our prop shop, which is sponsored. Well, not sponsored by. I wish it was sponsored by Threadless. Uh, It's on Threadless's website where you can find all of our snazzy stuff, hoodies, hats, T-shirts. Uh, if you want to contact the show for any reason whatsoever, the real debaters at gmail.com. Uh, I, it's been a pleasure, man. This is awesome. Yeah, Very cool. Thanks Stick man. around for a second before I fully let you go. Uh, watch all the movies kids. And uh, yeah, we we're gone. Say bye. Bye. Bye.